Hello and welcome to my almost midlife crisis where we discuss what makes life so friggin' weird. Okay, here's thanks for joining me this morning now that I have all my shit on. <laughs> okay, so you were, you were saying you played college ball for three and a half years, Division One. Yeah, so uh, I actually started at a Division II school my first semester, had a really good season down there, transferred up to CU Boulder, and that's when my, uh, I guess, college career started at uh, the Division One level. It was the second semester of my freshman year. And okay. then I graduated in 2014, so that's why it's three and a half years. Spring of 2014 is when I graduated again, and then I uh, transferred. Okay. Which uh, Division Two school did you start at? Uh, Fort Lewis College, down in Durango. Okay. So you started at Fort Lewis, you had a good year, and then you went to CU Boulder, mm-hmm. and then did, did you... Were you a grad transfer? You did a, another year? Yep. So, um, when I graduated from Boulder, um, at that time I had the opportunity, obviously, to still had another semester to play football. And then that's when I kind of came across CSU Pueblo. Again, they originally recruited me. Um, I ended up transferring down there, and when they gave me a scholarship, I knew I wanted to actually take classes worth, worth something. Um, mm-hmm. rather than just taking rinky-dink classes just to fill up the schedule. So uh, ended up uh, starting my master's at that time. So. Okay. What did you get your master's in? Uh, business administration. Cool. Um, I started with the emphasis in finance, but it was going to take another semester, so I just did a, a general MBA. Okay. So what was the recruiting process like for you in high school? Yeah. So actually, that's a good question because it's actually – Explains a little bit more in terms of why I bounced around so long, so much <laughs> in college. Um, <clears throat> so I don't think I ever told you this, Colin, but I actually grew up playing basketball, and basketball was my sport. I always thought that was what I was going to be doing, and then, um, you know, junior senior year, all of a sudden I just stopped growing, and my jumper was not that good. <laughs> you know, for basketball, you got to be able to shoot the ball, or you got to be tall, right? Um, I didn't have either, so. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, I was a good basketball player, but it's not, not great by any means. Um, and then, uh, so my senior year is when I first started playing football. So I didn't play football until, I played football at Peewee growing up, but didn't really play until my senior year of high school. And it was really just because one of my basketball coaches was also my football coach and was like, hey, you can play whatever position you want, just come out and out play football, and actually it's funny, the funnier story is like uh, I made a deal with my dad, and it's the only reason why I kept playing football, but needless to say, um, it worked out, and um, after I got done playing football, I still was looking, trying to pursue a, a basketball career and playing basketball in college, but, you know, turns out a lot more people wanted me to come play football. I had a lot more opportunity. I think CU Boulder was one of the first schools that came to visit me, and they offered me like a gray shirt. Have you ever heard of gray shirt before? No, I haven't. Yeah, so I've never heard of gray shirt either at that time. It probably was the best thing for me, but I didn't know what it was. I thought they were trying to screw me. Um, Because are you familiar with like the red shirt in college football? Uh, You sit out that year, but you're in school. 
Um, a gray shirt is essentially you just delay your eligibility. So you don't go to school that fall semester, you start the spring semester, and then that fall, that following fall, you're still a true freshman. Okay. Um, so it just adds another year of eligibility for people that they think they want, but they want to give them more time to develop, uh, give them an extra year to develop, and then you can still redshirt again that following year. Um, so it. it just gives it an extra year of eligibility. A lot of like high level, high recruits do that, right? Especially quarterbacks, they graduate early, go in. And yep. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep, yep. So that's kind of the same thing. Sometimes, I, like you said, sometimes it's the other way where people graduate early. Sometimes they want to delay it because they, if they have too many people in one position, but they know they want you, they'd rather you take a year off, essentially. Sure. Um, and then, well, not a year off because they want you working out full time, but <laughs> not technically in school yeah. for a year, right? So. Um, when they came and offered me that, I thought, I thought, you know, I was going to have an easy road to recruiting because CU was one of the first schools that came to see me. I was like, okay. I was like, thanks guys. But like, if you guys are the first ones, I know I'm going to get better options. Um, I know Greeley came and talked to me. I know a couple other, uh, a lot of D2 schools in the RMAC came and talked to me. A couple small schools, NAI schools in Iowa. The only school I went to go visit in Iowa was George just because they told me I could come play basketball and football out there. Uh, got out the door, and I was like, yeah, I'm not doing either one out here. <laughs> There's some places you just know you don't want to live. Yep. Right, so, um, And then uh, I actually ended up at Fort Lewis for the sole sake of they were the last school that came to visit me. Okay. Um, they kept on turning people down and then thinking that I was going to get bigger and bigger and better options, and all of a sudden they kept getting worse, 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 and I was like, well, I'll just keep waiting, keep waiting, and eventually they stopped coming. And then I remember it was a week before graduation in high school, because uh, I was told myself I was just going to go play at like a junior college or something. But like the week before graduation, uh, Fort Lewis College coach came in and said, "Hey, actually, we want you." And I was like, "I ain't never been to Durango, but uh, hey, I need to go somewhere." So that's kind of how I ended up down there uh, by chance, but it worked out for the best. I mean, you know. Uh, like I said, I had a good season down there that led to me bouncing up to see you at, in the, at the end of the day. So. All right. So you said you had to wait. You know, you kept waiting and waiting and waiting for the better option to kind of come up. Like, how how long do you think it's appropriate to do that? Right. Like in retrospect, obviously knowing how it played out, you know, you're happy with that, but. Would you have rather, if you could go back, do you think you would have been better off if you had taken one of the offers that came? Or like, how do you know if you should wait for the better option? Or you know, what's yeah. kind of the process there? Well, I think that's hard for two reasons, Colin. Um, because when I look back on my journey, like you said, I don't regret any of it. Because if I didn't start out at Fort Lewis, uh, I probably would have started at CU and I probably would have gotten a scholarship early on in my time there just because the year that I couldn't play up there was the year they were going to give me a scholarship, but I couldn't play because I transferred. Awesome. Right? Um, but, again, if I didn't take that journey the way I did or if I you know, would have took an offer to CU Pueblo um, early years, I would have played right away, played in those early seasons, but I probably would not have been a – part of that 2014 national championship season, right? Sure. And so, like, I can look back at it in, like, all types of ways in terms of, oh, I should have did this or that, but I think it worked out exactly how it's supposed to. 
Now, in general, if I was talking to somebody young and, you know, telling them they need to make a decision, yeah, I would say don't wait till. like, if you have options, obviously keep your options open, but don't just do what I did in terms of pushing the can down the road and just take whatever's left. Um, and then I would, that's what I would tell them there's a balance. Now, obviously, if you're getting a lot of offers, then you can wait longer. But if you already know that you're not getting that many from the get-go, then you probably don't, you don't really can't be playing the waiting game, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Can you just keep that microphone just a tad closer to you? This? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. I just want to make sure it's picking up. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, so you got to play on a national championship team, and that was at TSU Pueblo, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. So for you going into you know, playing Division One college football, you were non-scholarship player. What, what's the what's the goal for you? You know, it's like obviously every college athlete wants to be a pro athlete. Mm-hmm. I mean, was that ever a thought that you thought that you let yourself think that hey, I could go pro if I do this, or what was kind of the end goal on? Absolutely. On that? I think the mindset going in, especially up at Boulder and everything else, even in Pueblo, like. If you're good, they'll find you. If you do what it takes, they'll find you. Doesn't matter if you're a scholarship athlete or not. And I was somebody that always bet on myself, and especially, like, I think that's what made me unique. Because when you get to, like, places, Division Two, and eh, there, there's still some skill discrepancy. But when you get to Division One, everybody in there is really good and really athletic. Yep. But I always said what made me different was I didn't know how to quit, and I felt like I could work harder than most people. Now, did it work out for me in the athletic realm? No. But I do think those are the reasons why I am the way I am still at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. So as a walk-on, my goal, yes, at the end of the day, was I still wanted to play in the NFL, maybe play Canadian football. That was the goal, big-picture goal. Short-term goal, like for me, especially in my undergrad, was just getting a scholarship. It wasn't how many games I was going to win. It wasn't like bowl games. It wasn't none of that. It was like, hey, Harrison, you're going to get a scholarship this year. You're going to get a scholarship this year. And that's why at the time it felt like one of my biggest failures was when I didn't get a scholarship. After mm-hmm. both of my coaches got fired, um, you know, keep on getting in a position to get a scholarship but getting knocked back down to the bottom. Right. It felt like a real failure for me, right? And then um, and then I ended up at Pueblo, right? And it's funny because that's why I tell people, and it's not, this isn't meant to be a, like a overly religious push, but like this is what I tell people all the time. It's like we all have a, a plan in our own eyes, but sometimes God's plan is way bigger than what we could come up with because mm-hmm. my highest level of idea of success was getting a scholarship. And we won maybe six games in three years I was in Boulder. <laughs> and then went down to Pueblo and ended up winning a national championship, winning at the highest level at that division, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where it really puts things in perspective for me in terms of, you know, yeah, I, it's, cool to have, it's good to have goals, and I think that's very important. I'm all about goals, but I also think it's there's something to be said about uh, where you end up just pursuing goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my goal was the NFL. I never made it there. But I feel like 
so many more doors were opened along the way that I would have never seen or never been to if that wasn't wasn't my goal. So if my goal was to play college football, I feel like I would have never even done that. Sure, yeah. Because you always kind of leave yourself a little short, you know. So. Okay. So would you say that, I mean, what, what was more exciting? I mean, obviously, Division One sports is it's pretty freaking sweet, right? Like, yeah. I mean, every charter jets and, and all that, right? Yeah. So was the high of being a Division One athlete matched at all by being a champion at the Division Two level? Where, how would you compare those two things? Hold on. I ask myself this like almost okay. every day. Because I have such an affinity to like CU and Boulder, and that was my undergrad. I spent so much time out there. But I spent such a finite amount of time in Pueblo, like maybe seven months, mm-hmm. and they were probably some of the best seven months I've had in my life. And so that's why I look at both of them, like um, Division One school, especially playing in like the Pac-12, playing in all these nice locations, California, Arizona, even Washington, when like Oregon, those places uh-huh. are some of those stadiums are some of the nicest stadiums I think I've ever seen. Um, traveling, going right up to the tarmac, up to the plane, and you know. Everybody, we have in our own planes for the teams and um, staying in five-star hotels everywhere we went, prime ribs every dinner before, uh, pre-game meals, uh, like meals on top of meals, I'm talking like every single day. Like it was a great, it was such a, I think, uh, I don't know, a blessing that I feel like not as everybody fully understands like what it's like when you're in it. Sure. Like, it was awesome. And I think it was just so fortunate to be able to, to do those things and stay in a lot of the places that I did stay during my time, right? And then when I compare that to, like, Pueblo, we took a charter bus everywhere. Like, literally, where is the furthest we drove? Like, it was like down in New Mexico. We drove also to somewhere else. The only place we flew that year, um, besides the national championship, Actually, yeah, so that's a nice championship was uh, to Sam Houston State. And so Sam Houston State paid us a lot of money to come down there. And that was probably one of the best memories I feel like I had because it was so much fun. Um, They paid us a lot of money because Sam Houston State's a D1 AA school. Uh, They brought us down there so we could be one of their warm-up games at the beginning of the year. We got down there, and we beat them by, like, well, we were winning by, like, 35. Ended up winning by like 28, but uh, winning by like 35, That's 40 exactly. in the first half. And it was funny because they ended up making it to like the final four of the D1 AA football really? playoffs. Like it, was, it wasn't like they were a bad team. But it just kind of, I think that solidified it for us in that year that we were, we you- were legit, right? But outside of that, like I said, everything in Pueblo, we were traveling down there like on the charter buses, laying on top of each other on the buses to Western State, to Port Louis, to all these different places. And then um, eating at Golden Corral's was our dinners every night. It's a little bit different than the prime rib I was having, right? So, uh, but it's funny, like I still appreciate it. It's not like I was, I got to the point I was so bougie I couldn't deal. It's like, no, I understand it. I actually, I don't really care about it as much. Because it doesn't matter. What I cared about was going out there and winning. 
And that's what kind of brought it all together in terms of when I compare the two, yes, I have a love for both, but obviously I got to go with love because we won, right? Yeah. But, but I graduated from CU. So that's why I think I just, I don't know. I just have fond memories of both. That's fair. That's fair. So do you think that if you had stayed at Fort Lewis longer or had started at CSU Pueblo and then transferred up to, you know, a, a CU Boulder or some other, you know, lower end, middling D1 school, do you think that would have changed your trajectory as far as maybe scholarship offers or potentially pro playing time or anything like that? Uh, yeah. Obviously, I think I think timing of everything is is everything. Because um, again, when we look at like I just talked about, right? Um, CSU Pueblo was undefeated like six straight years. Kept losing in the first round of the playoffs or second round of the playoffs. Our MAC titles. They they were winning every year. I think it was a perfect storm of when I ended up there and the team that we had that year that led to us actually winning. Okay. So I can sit here and say, I don't like, regardless of what I think my goals were around scholarships and everything else. Right. I do feel like if I did take a different path, I wouldn't have won that national championship. Okay. Okay. And I hang my hat on that now because that is probably my single biggest accomplishment that I think I've had in my life at this point. Right. Um, because, again, even if I got a scholarship at CU, but we didn't even win a bowl game, not mention make it to a bowl game, what does it really matter, right? I think I'd take my, my national championship and hang that on my, on my hat, you know? But the answer is yes. Like, I do think things would have been different. I do, yeah, I may have had a chance to go to the NFL, right? Um, all athletes would like to think that they're going to bet on themselves that if they had a, right. the right opportunity, it would have worked, right? So I'm not going to act like I'm any different, but... At the same time, I'm very realistic, and I, like I said, I believe everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. And I try not to hold too much on to what ifs or what ifs, what if I could have did this, because at the end of the day, it does nothing for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to my original point, right, like I said, if I were to gray shirted at CU, I probably would have got a scholarship. I probably would have started at least two of those years up there, because I still remember the first sem- first semester I got up there when I transferred from Fort Lewis. Uh, Made a great impression on the coaches. I remember first practice, Paul Richardson was a, he was honestly probably one of the best receivers I've ever played against. But he was uh, one of my teammates up in Boulder. He played for the Seahawks and for the uh, Washington, whatever the team is now. Um, Commanders. Yeah, it's Commanders. I was like, yeah, Washington's team, yeah. So he played for them for a few years. I think last year was his first year that he didn't. He hasn't been playing. But um, one of the best receivers I've really ever played against. I remember we were practicing one-on-ones, and I locked him up the very first play. And he got mad or wanted to line up, because I didn't really know who he was. I was just playing. just playing. And he lined back up, and he wanted to make sure he beat me. And then I remember our defensive back coach pulled me aside. I was like, hey, what's your name? What year are you? Oh, my gosh. And he was like, wait, you're a transfer? Because he was hoping that I was going to be ready to play this year, but I had to sit out of the year, uh-huh. season. So he's like, dang it. He's like, but we'll hold on to you. And then I remember that season, we had a couple guys get in trouble, and like half of our defensive back core got kicked off the team. Mm-hmm. And then they were burning red shirts for 
true freshmen that were coming in at running backs and receivers and moving them to defensive backs. And again, a lot of those things are a reason why I say, like, I know if I would have, like, pre-shirted, I would have already, that would have been my freshman year Mm -hmm. coming in on that fall. And I would have played. I would have had a scholarship. But if I would have did that and I would have got a scholarship, I probably wouldn't have had, I would have had no reason to leave CU. And I wouldn't have looked. Right. And I wouldn't have won that national championship. Right? And who knows if I even would have won a bowl game while I was up there. All those different things. So that's why I tell that story to just kind of tie it all around. Like, yeah, I can speculate on what I wish it, what I wish I would have, could have, should have happened. Sure, yeah. But it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. So, you know, the, the big dream of playing in the NFL or winning a bowl game, whatever, at what point do you decide that I'm okay moving on from that dream? And how do you kind of feel or how do you reconcile, like, I'm not – at a certain point you have to – you know, accept that the dream's not coming true, or you have to change your priorities. You know, I, I, I mentioned before that you, know, you think about the, the singers in Nashville, right? Like, there's thousands of them, and they're really, really good. But how often, right, how long can you do that before you're like, okay, this dream's not coming true, it's time for me to refocus. And obviously in college, with sports, it's a little easier because your time is limited, yeah. but, you know, you can, you can go play in Canada, you can go play in some other place, you can train, you can do all that stuff. So how long do you get to play before you're like, okay, I'm yeah. moving on and feel good about it? Um, you know, that's a really good question, Colin, and probably one of the single biggest reasons why I find myself really passionate about working with athletes in general. Because one thing I've found is athletes across the board, if you play it at any high level, they all go through what I like to call a little bit of an identity crisis. Okay. So what I mean by an identity crisis is, um, you know, when you go through most of your life, majority of your life, identifying as one thing, when that door closes and you are no longer that person, you start questioning, like, who am I? Like, for me, um, I was always an athlete, like, whether it was a basketball player or I was a football player. I just, you know, that's what I do. I play football. You ask me what I do. I play football. That's mm-hmm. what I do. It's who I am. The sad part is, is I see so many of my teammates and I see so many people because I know, like I said, I was just as guilty of it, but that struggle with it is that that's all they are. Right. And they, they don't really, um, they don't really seek out much outside of the sport and how to use the sport for themselves um, to get where they want to go. Because um, when that sport comes to an end, invariably you start questioning, like, well, who am I? I've been a football player all my life, but I don't play football anymore. So somebody asked me, like, you know, who am I or whatever else? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's why so many of them hold on to this. And that's why I said I see so many of my teammates three, four years later that, you know, maybe had an opportunity, but maybe that door closed, but maybe they're still chasing that opportunity. It's just sad to see, right? And again, so many of my teammates are doing great things, but some people don't, they don't know how to move on. That's why I said when you, your question is very good because it's not a good answer. Because I know so many people that will continue to pursue a dream and then they will get there. Right. And that's why I will never tell people not to, to pursue their dream, but it's also don't derive your self-worth from being an athlete. That's what the biggest thing is I try to, especially like I coach high school football now, 
That's the biggest thing I try to tell those guys. Like I had one of my players tell me, or he actually he addressed the team after the, the season was over, and he said, you know, football's all I had. If it isn't for this, you know, I wouldn't be anybody and this and that. And I was like, dude, I appreciate everything you said in terms of stepping up and trying to, you know, share your heart. But I don't, out of one thing I never want to hear from you again is tell you that you're nothing without football. I was like, I promise you, you are so much more than what you even believe it. And mm-hmm. that's one that's one thing I think athletes struggle with is because they've been so uh, cheered on and high-fived for what they can do on a sport and um, maybe have never really applied themselves outside of that. So then they don't know how to feel worthy sure. outside of their sport, you know? Okay, so how did how did you move on after you graduated? You got your MBA, you got your national championship, you kind of tied it all in a bow. Yep. Sports were over at any kind of real competitive level. What, how did you move on? What, what happened for you? Well, the short answer is I was kind of forced to. And like most athletes, at some point, your body eventually gives up. Yep. Uh, like Tom I, Brady? Yeah. I, yeah. I wish I was Tom. Um, so I actually separated my shoulder um, that national championship season. And then um, was out for about a month, came back for the playoffs. It was just they were giving me quarter zone shots every freaking game. And, it, you know. It was good, to, so I didn't feel anything when I was going out there. But once that shot wore off, it was some of the most painful um, times in my life. But um, the doctor essentially said I could have surgery on my shoulder, and there's probably, a, if I'm physically active, there's probably a 33% chance it's going to pop back out. It's one in three, and I'm like, surgery's not fun for a one in third chance that it's going to happen again. Like, yeah. no thank you. Or I can just let it heal naturally and just do rehab and stuff like that. And obviously, um, I think one of the biggest reasons why I hung up my cleats and said, decided to move on was I uh, I knew I wasn't like a top prospect. I knew I would try everything I could to, if I could just had a chance at a pro day, if I showed out at the pro day, you know, doing good on my lifts, running a good 40, maybe I'll at least just get a shot to try out something. But if I was physically incapable to actually even show out at a pro day, I was like, I'm not even on NBA's radar, so they're not going to give me a pass if I'm not in peak 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 condition. Sure. And if I have surgery right now, I'll miss all of the pro day stuff this spring anyway. So it was just like, I can either try to work out on a bum shoulder and try to impress NFL scouts. I can have surgery and try to come back next year and try to do it a year later, when there's another year of younger, healthier people coming <laughs> yeah. out of high school or college too, or I just hung up my cleats and decided to move on, and that's what I did. And like I said, I think I was fortunate enough that, as much as football and sports was a big part of my life, it wasn't. It really wasn't. I was always really good in school. I was. I feel like, you know, a pretty responsible individual. That I did find myself into the workforce shortly after and wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do with my life, but I was able to take a lot of what I learned from my athletic career and just apply it in a different field. So. Okay. So right now for work, you're working for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that process. What was it like to kind of get started? Did you, did you have other things that you were considering? Uh, how'd you end up working for yourself versus working for somebody? You know, did you weigh the pros and cons of that? And 
kind of, what was that like? Well, I mean, coming out of college, I definitely knew I wanted to find myself in a career of significance. Um, I didn't want to just go get a random job. I wanted to find myself a career. And so a lot of the places I was interviewing, um, you know, bigger places, like uh, bigger philanthropic places here in town, and, you know, they liked everything about me, but got to the end of the road and was like, well, you know, you don't have any work experience, so we don't know if we can hire you. And I think that really turned me off to some of the more traditional, I guess, careers that they just want you to have work experience and do this and do that. And it's like, look, I want to work here, but like, I don't have any work experience. So where can I start? And I knew I didn't want to go get a job at like, and again, no offense to people that do, but like Jimmy John's or Walmart, just to say I had a work experience. I knew, and the thing is, is I think I didn't know how to articulate my work experience at that time. It wasn't until I started working that I realized I had a lot of work experience from my right. athletic career. I just didn't know how to articulate it. Right. I didn't know how to talk about, you know, the discipline that I learned of having to work out 11 months out of the year, never knowing if you're actually going to touch the field. Like, that's embracing the process, not results. And especially yeah. when you're talking about working for yourself, that's exactly what we do, right? You have to embrace the process of what you have to do to be successful. You can't just go to work changing, changing your time for money. And the more I looked at it and looked at careers, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I like the idea of going to work, you know, and giving 150% effort next to the guy doing 70% effort and we still get paid the same just because you work the same number of hours. Right. You know, um, I just couldn't get on board with that. And I think that's what drew, attracted me to a career like this where I could bet on myself and I am compensated based on the value I brought, I bring. And no, it's not all about the money for me, but I like feeling like, you know, I'm in a, Career. Not enough money. Exactly. I would like to find that I'm in a career that I can have a significant impact on people's lives and I can still do the things I want and have control over my lifestyle along doing that, you know? Right. And that's what really attracted me to, you know, going into business for myself and betting on myself. And I think the hardest part for people betting on themselves when they're talking about going into business for yourself is a lot of people will either come into, when you go into business for yourself, you're either looking at, or you're looking at the ceiling. A lot of people looking at the floor are the ones that don't make it because they're just wondering what is the bare minimum I can do mm -hmm. and survive. When you're at the ceiling, you're looking at how hard, how hard you can go and how high up you can go. And you also know if I just do what I'm supposed to do, I'll never be on the floor. And that's the same way I've looked at it just going into business for myself. They're like, well, I have no one else to blame but myself. Right. And again, it's from a guy that goes from making nothing every single year, I was like, yeah, this, I can do this. I can obviously make a lot more money than what I've been doing. So like, how hard could it be? Right. Right. Um, one thing else thing I will say is I think the, the biggest thing I've learned as well is when you have a job, you always are trying to do the bare minimum and watching the clock. But when you, when you're in business for yourself, it's almost like there's always more to do. Sure. Right. And you always find more to do. And I think I like the idea of that mindset of trying to, hey, just trying to get what I need to get done just so I can say I'm done for the day versus trying to get what I need done for that day to achieve what I want to achieve. I right. think it's very different perspective to how you approach your work. No, definitely. And so you mentioned, you know, the idea of embracing the process while at school playing sports. You know, you had to work for 11 months not knowing if you're going to get to actually play. 
and I'm looking around your office, and you have some some uh, I don't know what to call it uh, recognitions yeah. from different organizations here um, in town from you know, a couple years ago, dating back to 2019, 2020. And you know, obviously, how long have you been working for yourself? Uh, technically, 2017. Okay, so yeah. you're coming up five on years. five, six years, yeah. So with those first you know, a couple, three, four years, you know, were they, were they great years? Or were you, you kind of, uh, I don't know, struggling's the word, but you weren't, were you somewhere between struggling and thriving? Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I was, I would say somewhere between surviving and thriving. Okay. I don't think I ever really was struggling. And I think and that's why I was truly blessed and fortunate. Like, um, my first year in business for myself, I was finishing my master's program and I was living at home, but I also made about $50,000. So when you're making that kind of money living at home, you're feeling just fine. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's great. And that's why I said it was a combination of like, well, you know, yes, I could build it bigger and bigger and bigger, but I was very comfortable with the life that I was building. And yeah, that's me being complacent and I don't really like that, but I also, I think it worked. Right. I cannot complain about it, but those early years, yeah, they were a little bit of a struggle just from a grind standpoint. Sure. But like in terms of just, you know, making ends meet, I couldn't complain because I've literally lived off of zero most of my life. Right. So when you start making significant money with low bills, it's like, this is not that hard. Yeah. And I think that's what kept me around. And luckily, I have support around me like that. Like I said, I was fortunate to have. You know, family here in town when I when I was finishing my master's and fortunate enough to not have to pay rent. Yeah. My first year starting this business, so it did make things a lot easier for me and smoothing out that that road. But like you said, in the early years, a lot of the things like like even some of those accolades and things like that I have, it has nothing. I don't know. I don't want to say it has anything to do with me, but a lot of it just was a matter of I think being involved. Because mm -hmm. yeah, I have a lot of athletic trophies up there, but after that, I have a lot of trophies just related to community-based things, and it just, uh, like I mentioned before, I started high school coaching not because I wanted to be a high school football coach, but frankly, I don't know if I actually mentioned that. Sorry, but I coach high school football. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you mentioned it yet. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> I was like, I know we talked about it. So I was like, uh, the ten people that are going to hear this didn't know that until yeah. Uh, just so. Um, I coach high school football um, still to this day at my old high school. And one of those things is, is like, that was the first time I really got involved in the community. And I didn't, I had zero desire to coach, but it was once my coach asked me to help. Sure. And you get out there, you start realizing how much you actually have to offer or yeah. teach about something until you, you don't realize how much you know about something until you're teaching other people. Sure. Right. And I think that was like the start of my journey of getting involved in the community and doing more and more out that way. And then next thing you know, I'm starting to get recognized for just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to speak so highly of myself, but it's like almost like in the public's view, I think it's something special that a guy is, oh, yes, he's trying to start his business and running his business, but he's also giving back to the community. He's involved in the community. I don't think it's such a far-stretched thing to, to think that that's something that people do, but... I think that's why a lot of uh, attention started coming my way. And I don't, like, I don't, I'm not necessarily even comfortable with it because it's weird. I don't like even talking about it. Sure. But 
that is the reason why a lot of all of a sudden these different, you know, the Rising Star Awards, the leadership programs, those things started popping up just by and large due to the fact of a lot of the involvement that I was in and just being a good person at the end of the day is what I like to say. It's like I've had people ask, well, how did you get into that group? How did you do this? And it's like I wish I could tell you. But honestly, if you just be a good person and you try to help people, people tend to respond in a favorable manner. Sure. Right? So, I don't know. So, you had, you mentioned you had the support from, from your folks. You were able to say, you know, you drove rent free. You got asked to come help coach, and that kind of kick-started your um, giving back. So, you know, you had these, the circumstances were basically just right for mm-hmm. you, right? And it, it played out the right way. If you compare those, the cards falling correctly for you in business as compared to the way the cards fell for your previous goal of, you know, maybe being an NFL athlete, you know, how much luck would you say factored into you being successful at either one of those, right? Because would you say, I mean, your work ethic probably hasn't changed significantly. Is that fair to Mm -hmm. say? No. No, it just applied differently, right? Right. But the same mindset's the same. And I think, and I'm glad you asked that, because I think the way I look at it is I I really don't, I don't believe in luck. Okay. Right? Um, And it's kind of cliche. I know I've heard it said a couple different ways, but I truly believe the harder you work, the luckier you get. Definitely. Right? Um, So, two examples of that is exactly what you're talking about. In football, I could say I got lucky and ended up at Pueblo at the right time, but also uh, spending those three years up in Boulder kind of made me a better football player than I think I would have been if I just started at Pueblo. Challenged me a lot more going against the best competition and not really ever having that chance. We had a much more complicated playbook. I got down to Pueblo and it was very simple, and then I could play uh, really all three defense back positions. And I rotated all three of those positions just because I was able to do it at a higher level because I understood it more deeply. Sure. Right? And some people could say, well, he got lucky. He was able to play three positions. It's like, well, it's not like you just really play three positions just by walking out there and say, I want to play all three of these. Right. Right? Uh, and again, yeah, I got lucky when I when you could say that when I won a national championship. But it's like, was it, though? Maybe it was the perfect storm of, you know, my teammates that were on that team on that team that year, along with me and everybody else that led to that victory, right? I, I you could look at it as being a lucky year, but it's also like, yeah, but we also put a lot of work in and we were the culmination of a lot of just different parts of parts of this puzzle that came together in the right year, right? Right. When I look at it now in business, it's like, yeah, you could say I got lucky if I you know, close a big case or something like that. But it's also like, well, how many times have, you know, advisors or, or people in my line of work come across huge cases that fall right in their lap, but they don't know what to do with them because they they haven't done enough to up to that point to go through that trial and error. Right. You know, falling on their face, understanding how to deal with the case like that so when it does come, you actually knock it out the park. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course you're going to get lucky, but I think luck is just hard work meets opportunity. Right. Because plenty of other people would get lucky, but they didn't do the work in the first place to take advantage of that opportunity, and then they'll point at somebody else like, ah, he got lucky. 
Right. But they probably had just the same amount of opportunities. They just never seized them when they came. Yeah, and on that idea of luck being a hard work versus opportunity, taking breaking down opportunity, I, I think I've heard it the best. The best way I've ever heard it was people think that opportunity is like a bus. You know, you got to be at the bus station at the right time for the bus to go so you can get on the opportunity bus. But it's not that way. It's it's a revolving door where like it just it'll come back around as long as you keep pushing for it. So you just have to keep working, keep pushing the door to get your opportunity, and then you know that creates your Luck. No, absolutely. And like you said, it's I think too many people they look at opportunity as being a like you said, a one stop shop. But if you have more of an abundant mindset and you're actually are doing the work, opportunities will be like like you said, a revolving door. There'll be one opportunity after another. But it's funny, Aaron, like I said, the harder working people, the harder you work, the more opportunities you actually start seeing. Yeah. So looking at, uh, you know, you got the 2020 Mayor's Young Leader Award. Is the 2020 version of Harrison Hunter more successful than the 2012 version who's playing college football? Or is he more or less successful than the 2022 version that's sitting right here who, you know, doesn't have an award yet for, for this year sitting on the wall? Like, how would you kind of describe where you are and, like, I guess different levels of success that you've achieved? Can you compare the two, or is it just the, did each of those situations kind of have to stand on their own? Um, obviously, you can compare the two, but the way I look at it is this, especially if you're asking, like, who's the better version? Is it 2012 version, 2020 version, 2022 version? I like to think... The best version of myself is me every single day or the next day, right? Because I'm a culmination of all the things I have learned from the 2012 version of me, from the 2020 version of me. And I hope to, to think of myself as always moving forward, never really going backwards. Okay. So, yeah, I might have more accolades from those days or whatever else, but that doesn't change who I am as a person. And I think that goes back to uh, having a better sense of person. Like, uh, again, when you're, when, I was talking, when we were talking about playing football, start identifying based off of your ability to play football or maybe the accolades that you get while you play football. And if that's where you drive your worth from and not just by who you are from a work ethic, a discipline, and, you know, uh, who you are as a person, the values you have, that's what I'm, I'm learning really matters, not just the accolades that come from doing things well. That's just a byproduct. Right. That's mm -hmm. just the, the, the confirmation that you're doing it right. But if you I think it's more of an internal thing. If you can find that internal piece of knowing that you are the best version of yourself and you are learning from the things that you, you might not get the awards you once did in the past, but you still are that same person and growing. That's the way I look at it. And so that's kind of the way I look at kind of past versions of myself versus where I'm at today. OK. So, okay, would you call the 2020 or the 2012 version of yourself successful? Absolutely. And would you call yourself successful today? Absolutely. Now, I might be just delusional. <laughs> you could ask me if I was, you know, ask me about the 2000 version of myself. I would say, hell yeah. Right? <laughs> right. Again, like, I think that's also a personal preference, and that's one of the things that does 
not to say, and again, I hate trying to, I hate sounding cocky or anything, but I think that's what makes me who I am, is that I, I do believe in myself. I don't not, I'm not overly cocky, but I believe in myself. And I, I do know where my intentions are at, and I do know I'm doing good things, and I'm not going to apologize for that, you know? Yeah, no, and I think that's, that's important. I think we have this weird culture, and, you know, I, I, one of my pet peeves is people who pick on America, but I don't know if other cultures are this way. I only know about ours. We have this weird culture where you have to work hard, and you have to push to be successful, but once you get there, you're supposed to act like you're not. Yeah. It's like, I think it's it's healthy to accept a certain level. Like, yeah, I have worked hard to achieve what know, I did. the number yeah. of things. And, and right, you've definitely worked hard and you definitely have achieved a number of things. And it's okay to be proud of that, right? As long as, I think the problem probably comes from when you stop <laughs> continuing to work, right? Because you're so proud of what you've done. Yeah. Or you forget about how much work you put in or something like that. But Well, I also think just the small add-on to that. It's part of the problem is these days is just the social media fad of of uh, feeling like you have to flex what you have yeah. and flaunt what you have that sometimes it comes across as bragging. and Because, again, there's a fine line between being proud of what you have and boasting and sure. feeling like you're trying to one-up other people kind of thing. And I think that's kind of the balance of, well, how do you acknowledge what you have without trying to act like you're trying to one-up somebody else's success? Right. So then, how do you, I mean, is it fair to compare successes? Like, is your success better or worse than either your past success or somebody else's? No, I think you're, you're absolutely right in that. I don't think so. Like, because um, like all success is relative, just like anything, right? Like, what is it? Like, you, you might be able to compare it for just gauging and, you know, holding yourself accountable or maybe getting you to think bigger. But comparing success, it does nothing for you, right? Um, I think it was, who was it? It was like Ed Milet or somebody said, comparison is the thief of happiness. Because if you really think about the only times you're unhappy is when you're comparing things to, like, what somebody else has, mm-hmm. what somebody else did, uh, you know, comparing to how things used to be. Like, if I was comparing, like, oh, life back in 2012, that was the life. Like, no, right. like, understand it for what it is. But when you really start driving your worth based off of a comparison to anything else, you just, you know, it's not good. And that's why I don't do it. So. Yeah. So how would you define success then if you can't, you can't really compare it to, you know, one, one type of success to another? How do you define what is success then? Um... I think the best definition of success I heard was from The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. And I'm not going to quote it exactly, but it was something along the lines of the, um, the worthy pursuit of a, or something, the pursuit of a worthy ideal, essentially. And the way I look at it is I think the true definition of success at the end of the day is um, keeping the daily commitments that you make to yourself. Okay. Or the bigger commitments that you make to yourself, whether it's a goal, whether you're pursuing again, like if you want to be a stay-at-home mom and and spouse, and you do a great job of doing that, and you take it to the best of your ability, taking the kid, taking care of the kids to the best of your ability, you're not, you know, you're that person. That's what I think is success. 
I think there's teachers out there that grow up wanting to be a teacher and they pursue it trying to get their master's degree in education and then they trying to do the best they can teaching whatever topic it is that's a success right I think it's just more of having an idea of purely of what you want to do or who do you want to impact and actually pursuing that and doing it and not just giving up because oh well whatever it is the opportunity bus left exactly the opportunity bus left so i can't do this uh i guess i can't be successful at that i'll just you know do, do this instead it's like no the people that set up a, set up a goal and they actually pursue it not to say that, like, against all odds, like, again, I'm going to be an NFL player and then you pursue it at all costs. I still think the pursuit of going there and then maybe falling short, but telling yourself that's okay and finding yourself still in a better position, that's the success, okay. right? Because it's not like just because you set big goals doesn't necessarily mean you have to achieve them. That's so why I said it's more about the pursuit of them, like in an actual worthy pursuit, not just, oh, I tried that out, didn't work out, right. but... I feel like only you really know if you actually succeed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's fair. So within, you know, you have this large goal of something maybe in, in your in your mind. Mm -hmm. For most most business owners, it's being able to sell their business or you know make a million dollars, whatever it is, right? Usually financially related, just by the, you know. Yeah, nature of the beast. Nature of the beast, exactly. So if you don't hit that goal, like I guess is it. I guess it's fair to say that it's probably very important that you have more than just the one goal, right? Because that way you're setting, you're pursuing that high goal and you have, you know, benchmarks. So even if you don't hit your top yeah. goal, even if you failed at the biggest goal, you still have other successes that you can look back on and being exactly. able to, I guess, reference some of the other goals that you achieved is important and that allows you to kind of look around and so be proud of yourself goals. yeah exactly because at the end of the day and that's why i said i think it's more about the worthy pursuit toward yeah. the goal is really where it is because if you're really pursuing a like again like for me i was trying to be an nfl player but i fell short by a long shot but i still ended up achieving a lot of things along the way right because i was chasing that bigger goal and i think there's a goal level and then there's a commitment because the commitment's a bare minimum you're gonna do regardless but the goal is like okay this is what i would like to do and right. this is what i'm gonna work towards like whether it is selling my business for a million bucks like okay you're working towards it but you're only selling it for seven hundred thousand well I'm willing to bet that's still more of a success than not working towards that, and now you're stuck trying to have to sell the sell the business at a super discount at like two, three hundred thousand, and that's all you're getting out of it because you didn't do any kind of planning for it, and it's just like, oh, I guess I got to get what I can get out of it, right? There's levels to success, and I think yeah, we have a huge goal, but I think as long as we live up to our commitment level, you find somewhere in that success range. Right. Yeah. And it's the whole concept of you aim for the stars, you or shoot for the moon, you land yeah. in the stars. Yeah. <laughs> shoot, shoot for the stars, stars you end up in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> awesome. Well, Harrison, I think we're closing on an hour. Uh, I know you have work to do. I got work to do, so we'll probably uh, get time to wrap it up. I'll love to talk to you again, but um, just for everyone listening, Harrison Hunter, um, he's 
good, good dude. You know, even if he's a little weird looking. <laughs> but appreciate you coming on, Harrison. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again. Yeah. See, that's why I'm on the podcast. Got a face made for radio. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. All right.